We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to A Taste of Romamu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romamu, please visit Romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. So broken bellies, broken bobs, they tried to break us, but they failed. So, so we shall start this, um, this parashat, this look at Parashat Pinchas. Where are we going to start? The good news first or the prickly news? Good news. Okay, good news. Okay, good news. Okay, the characters, we have Moshe, the daughters of Tzilafkad, right? So we talked about this a little bit yesterday. So the daughters presented their demands to Moshe that the inheritance laws prohibiting daughters from inheriting from their father when there are no sons should be changed, right? So these five daughters came out of the shadow of fear. So tzel of chadzel is shadow or um, sombra, but a shade, right? Ooh, shade, throwing shade. The shade of pachad, of fear. So, and their mission was to secure their future in the land of Canaan, right? They wanted to secure some of the apportioned land. But the laws were not to their favor. So I imagine these five daughters coming before, Mo, before Moshe. I am Malka, I am Noah, I am Tirza, I am Chogla, I am Milka. I am a daughter of Tzilafchad and I am a lawyer. Right? Their narratives occupy just a few verses compared to the rest of the, of the parashat, but they provoke compassion, a reconsideration of law, and change that will acknowledge the women, independence, ownership, and inheritance. We're still in good news? Yes? Okay, we're staying with the good news. On another good news of this, of this parashat is a character, okay, Sarah. Right? We, don't, we know Sarah. We don't know Sarah. We read the name of Asher's daughter was Sarah. So we see line after line of, of, um, of male names, and then suddenly we have daughter of Asher. She was mentioned as in the, in the book of Genesis as sister Sarah to Asher's sons. And the sons are named Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, Bere'ah. So Sarah was not even described as descendant of Asher, which is what the others are, nor was it written that there were descendants of Sarah. So Rashi, a medieval commentator from northern France, says that she is named here because she was still alive at this time. 400 years after the first mention in relation to Asher, this is extraordinary kumbacha what she's drinking we want so Ramban the medieval commentator and rabbi physician from Catalonia expanded on Rashi's interpretation and 
he says that Sarach belonged to a category of heiresses, okay, of heiresses who received an inheritance. Hmm. Sarach is mentioned in the context of inheritance. If Sarach was literally the daughter of Asher, then she would, of course, not inherit a portion of the land since he had sons as well. Rather, he posits that she was really the daughter of Asher's wife by a previous son who did not have any sons. Are you following me here? Right? This is like inheritance. How many families stay together and drift apart because of fights over inheritance? I won't ask you to raise your hands. So, So should we try to read more into this paucity of information about Sarah, this granddaughter of Yaakov, the only woman to have been listed among the 70 men who were counted and who walked with Yaakov to Egypt? Um, should we keep looking for women where there aren't that many mentioned in the Torah until we get to this parasha, parashat Pinchas, Pinchas the dark-skinned one, and now there are names, there are names galore. And these women have names instead of just being imagined parenthetically along the sons and the fathers. So that's the good news, right? The daughters of Tzalafqad, yes, the five daughters, say that with me. This is a good name to remember. Tzel, that's that shadow, right? Pachad, Pachad, fear. Right, so Tzelofchad. Right, we don't hear names like this um, coming up to to the bima for Aliot. Tzelofchad. One more time. There we go. Now the prickly news. There's a stone in my shoe from this parasha, and that connects to today. So this is warning. This is not P this is not PG thirteen. So the characters. We have Cosby, a Midianite woman, Zimri, an Israelite leader, Pinchas, Balak, and Bilam. Okay. Just stay with me, stay with me, because I have a stone in my shoe from the last parasha. Right? We learned from the last parasha that this, there, there was this prophet for hire, Bilam. Right? And what did he do? He was supposed to curse. Right, and he was he advised Balak to entice the Israelite men to become intimate with the women of Moab. Okay, so illicit relations. The extent of these relations, then, as would be in in, uh, in the Torah, resulted in what disease, a plague, magefa, right, catastrophe. Disaster, un disastre. So in full view of Moses, so imagine the scene. There's Moshe, right? All the Zekanim, all the elders. And the people of the Israelites are weeping, right? And they are at the entrance of the tent of meeting, right? Where they gather, right? They've been traveling through the wilderness. And what do they see? Here's what they see. They see Cosby, the Midianite woman, with Zimri, the Israelite man, 
enter a tent. As you and I would think, we think today we think of a chupa as marriage, right? But when a man and a woman enter a tent, that's like a chupa, right? And you can be joined, not necessarily by a document, which would be marriage, right? Or an exchange of uh, a coin in those days. But here, they went together, Moshe, the Israelites, and the people who are weeping, they see this. Pinchas, remember, we, that was another name we mentioned, the Nubian, they say, the dark-skinned one, followed them into their tent. And this forbidden chuppah, and he killed the Midianite woman Cosby and Israelite clan leader Zimri, while the two were in relations. Well, it just sounds like some of those things I um, I scroll down on my news thing, you know. A double murder by impalement with a spear. The Torah adds the detail for the woman the stroke into her stomach and halted was the plague that Sarhamagifa from upon the Israelites. That part of her which could have given birth to descendants was summarily and absolutely destroyed forever and for always. This death sentence describing this parasha was so abominable that I had to look it up. Right? I had to like take a stick and like poke around, poke around in the garden and lift up the rocks to see all the creepy crawlies on there. And I saw that there are lithographs of such events that had happened. So you and I would call that a vigilante killing. But if you would indulge me, turn to page 918 in your Chumashim. If you have 918, this is not, uh, this is like the beginning of Parashat Pinchas. So verse 10, the top of that says, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Pinchas, son of Eleazar, Eleazar, son of Aharon, the priest, right? So he was not just nobody, right? He was just, not just some vigilante. He was, he had yuchas, he had connection. He had lineage. Pinchas has turned back my wrath from the Israelites by displaying among them his passion for me capital M, right? So I did not wipe out the Israelite people in my passion. Say therefore, right? The Lord saying to Moses, I grant him my pact of friendship, a pact of priesthood for all, because he took impassioned action for his God, thus making expiation, making kapara, like in Yom Kippur, for the Israelites. So I invite you to play magic stickers with me. You know, you know those magnetic stickers you, on, you put on, on the refrigerators? And let's just kind of change some of the, uh, the translations. So we have, I grant him my pact of friendship. Um, in Hebrew, can someone with call around with voice, a, st a strong voice say that in Hebrew? My pact of friendship. Brit, Brit Shalom, right? 
So a uh, pact of friendship? Okay, that's like, a, you know, um, covenant of peace, maybe, right? So then what else? So it all keep going. It says, it shall be for him and his descendants after him a pact of priesthood for all because he took impassioned action for his God. So this impassioned action, um, can someone find that on the Hebrew, on the Hebrew side? Tachat asher kine lelohav, right? So when we say kine, that's almost, is often translated as what in modern Hebrew? Kine. What? Don't be shy. Jealousy, yeah, jealousy, right? So we say sometimes he was zealous, right? We say Pinchas was zealous, but here, like you and I would know she's jealous. So it also brings up this idea also of the jealous God, Elkano, right? As it was even mentioned when the Ten Commandments, the Ten statesmen, Statements were given in Exodus, the book of Exodus. So in this double homicides, there is zeal, zealotry, or jealousy. Is that what we have? Could it be that the translation of Pinchas, his name being the Nubian, the darkened one, the plot thickens, you see, and we see that these verses express some kind of, if I'm going to analyze this in modern um, power political analysis, I would see, oh, this is a bias. This ism is a bias against somebody who will be, um, whose action, whose presence will impact diverse targeted groups who often occupy the lower rungs of society. But Pinchas, the, the perpetrator or the, maybe you would say the facilitator of the will of God, if you, if you take that side, right? There are, there are so many points of view. He was not from the lower rungs of society. So, is, are we implying here, is the, are the verses implying here, well, let the one who is of dubious descendants, you know, of dubious lineage, commit this impassioned act, this act of jealousy? We can blame volatile actions upon groups, upon those whose origins may be of doubt. So there's that bias, and if you beg, if you beg to differ, there's still, for me, what bothers me, the stone in my shoe is still the sucker punch of a double homicide through their bellies, through her center of her being, and through my heart. How easy, right, when we read the Torah, we see this person is a harlot, this person is Zona. So whether it is a murder called honor killing among certain peoples, this appalling act would jog us to the dreams of new, uh, you know, from our dreams of nuance. And this had to land on my first Shabbat morning drash. So, when we are parsing Torah, we often say, what is troubling Rashi? Right? This medieval commentator from northern France would, says that since Pinchas knew about the Torah prohibition that a zealous one may slay 
him, a transgressor, then Pinchas would be the one who should carry this out, right? Because he knew of this Torah prohibition regarding um, an Israelite having relations with a non-Israelite. But again, so remember, Pinchas, whom, whom is he descended from? Aharon, right? And what was he? He was a priest, Aharon HaKohen. So here we are, we have this mix of zealotry, love of humanity from Aharon and pursuit of happiness. And this is some heady cocktail here. So I'm going to do now what my son says. Ima, not what, Rashi, what is bothering Rashi. What is bothering me? Right? He says, what is bothering me, Ben? So what is bothering me? I'm troubled by Pinchas, whose name means the Nubian, the Egyptian. I'm troubled that his non-Israelite lineage gives him but six degrees of separation from Cosby, the Midianite woman whom he killed. I, have seen, I don't seem to be talking about Zimri here. I am troubled that the avenger who is granted a brit shalom, a covenant for peace, is the one who is also sometimes called Kushi or Ethiopian. They rarely say, right, that the Torah never clarifies mm, the fair-skinned one. Have you heard of that? Right? But when it's of dubious action, mm, the dark-skinned one. Okay, so says the Kitab Sofer, a rabbi from um, 19th century Hungary, that Pinchas will have to cure himself of his violent temper if he is to become a priest, if he is to function as a Kohen. So what are you implying then? That this violent temper has something to do with his darkness? Or is his, or is his the violent temper darkness? I am triggered, as you can see and I am broken up by this story. So I invite you to do some sleuthing with me, okay? So when I'm in trouble, we look at the text. Top of page 919. Okay, the translation on the left says, my pact of friendship, again, the Hebrew reads what? Brit, Brit Shalom. Okay, so now the Hebrew. Reading from the right to left, it's the third word. The letter that is the stick with the dot on the top is what, what letter in Hebrew? Shout it out. It's a vav, right? It's a vav. So in your version, it's straight, right? Normal, normal vav. But when we look at the Torah, it's a broken vav. So it would really look like this, and then maybe even a skew like this on top. So. This kind of script was used by the Masoretis, so they are the scholars from the 6th and 10th century who wanted to design, who designed the Hebrew biblical text. And the rabbinic interpretations of this, in, in rabbinic interpretations in Midrash, the rabbis really pay attention to any aberrant letter forms. Right? If suddenly the letter looks different, they're, look, they're interested. So, the letter in question needs to be properly restored by a certified scribe or sofa, right? If it's broken. But here it was purposefully broken by the original writers. So what can we deduce from this? 
why would they break it up? Right? So there are some, um, some commentaries that say that they must have been dis disturbed themselves by the skewering of Cosby and Zimri, that they wrote God's blessing with a cracked vav, right, with a broken vav. Neither a covenant or peace nor a service of the individual can be achieved through violence. So what is our prayer for us today through this? A broken vav, a loss of inheritance that had to be, you know, that, had, that people had to lawyer up for, right, to, to change. Um, we see that there's no magic continuum, but porousness and osmosis of, 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 um, of claims, of borders, of... So my prayer though today is, although we are broken, although there is brokenness, and although we have stones in our collective shoes, may we and our leaders emerge from the shadows of fear. May we beckon and demand from our sacred texts the good news and the prickly news that these words speak to us or we let it speak or we make the words, these words speak to inspire understanding of impact and behavioral change. And may we continue to hold each other in loving community and partnership. Riffing off of um, Eden Sidney Foster's poem last night, we say, thank God we are blessed, we are brokenhearted. How blessed is the heart that it can never be strong to break. I still have my, the stones in my shoe. Do you still have it? Yes. And I still have, I still have trepidations, but all I can say here is Shabbat Shalom.